In just a few minutes, we're going to partake of communion together. The Apostle Paul says when we do that, we should examine ourselves. What exactly does that mean? And what does that have to do with what we've been learning in the book of Hebrews? I want to share just a few thoughts related to that from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. A big problem with the Corinthian church was their spiritual arrogance. It manifested itself in a number of different ways. In chapter 11, their arrogance has led to treating one another in pretty destructive ways at what they refer to as their love feast. Their love feast was kind of a potluck that they'd experienced together before they would head into communion. Whenever there is spiritual arrogance, it's always, always indicative of a deficient theology of grace. You just can't really understand grace and come out arrogant. So that's the problem in the Corinthian church. Paul deals with the love feast, then he moves into this discussion of communion that was intended to remind them of what clearly they have forgotten, which was at the root of their arrogance. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we get down to verse 26, you see there's a little bit of a play on words. There's a reminder when we gather, we are the body of Christ. We are to judge ourselves rightly, and in a very real sense, we are a broken body. That's why we need the broken body of Jesus, because we ourselves are sinners in need of a Savior. So the order of the elements matters. We first come remembering we're a broken body, which is why Jesus' body had to be broken for sin. Verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying. Now, just a word here. Sometimes people refer to the juice or the wine, but biblical language is the cup, and that actually matters The cup is a reference in the Old Testament to the wrath of God. You hear that language from the prophets. So you think about when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just hours after he had uttered these words to his disciples, and you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying to the Father, and he said, Father, if possible, remove this, what, cup. So he was clearly referring to the wrath of God that would be poured out on him in payment for sin. Now, this is what we learned in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus became the propitiation. He became the mercy seat. He was the offering uh, to God, the ultimate offering, that the wrath of God would be poured out on him, that it might be satisfied, that he might offer us forgiveness freely as a gift. So we first acknowledge we are a broken body. Therefore, we need the broken body of Jesus and we need the shed blood of Jesus 
to experience righteousness. So he quotes Jesus, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So again, what we learned in Hebrews, this is the ushering in of the new covenant, the fulfillment of the promise. The ultimate priest made the ultimate sacrifice of himself, of his own blood, to satisfy the wrath of God to offer salvation to us. So these are the things we must remember. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, that's an interesting verse. When we gather and experience communion together, who are we proclaiming the message to? It's not to the unbelievers. Communion is not an outreach event. We're proclaiming it to ourselves because there's always danger of turning this new covenant salvation into a spiritual arrogance and reverting back to a works-based righteousness. So when we partake of the elements, we're proclaiming, we're reminding ourselves of what's true, of the basis of our salvation. Now, there are those who would teach us that you actually have to partake of the elements of communion to be saved. Now, stop and think about that. We've taken the reminder that it's Christ and Christ alone and actually turned that into some sort of a religious religious work necessary for salvation. That's how subtly these things happen. But I don't think most people in our circles struggle with that. Where we get confused is on the idea of examine yourself. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. So there's that little bit of play on words. So what does he mean by examine? I would suggest to you that there are many, many, many Christians in our circles who when they hear that, what they think is I must examine myself to make sure I am worthy to partake in communion. So let me rephrase that a little bit. Here's what we're saying when we think that. That I need to assess my performance to make sure I have made myself worthy to partake of communion. When I say it that way, do you hear what I just said? We have reverted to a works-based righteousness in order to make ourselves worthy before God. This is where the spiritual arrogance comes from. To partake of communion in an unworthy manner 
is to revert back to thinking somehow on the basis of my performance, I have made myself worthy to partake of communion. When Paul's saying, examine yourself, in a context of spiritual arrogance, he is saying what we must remember is the basis of our righteousness is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Whether you've had a great week as super Christian, or whether you had a lousy week and messed up, your worthiness to stand right before God does not come from your performance. It comes from the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. What we need to remember and proclaim to one another when we gather for communion is it's on the basis of Christ and Christ alone that I have been made right before a holy God. I can't ever forget that. Lest I start to become spiritually arrogant. It's good to remind ourselves this morning that even though you've been a Christian perhaps for 40 years, you are no more righteous than the person sitting next to you who's been a Christian for 24 hours. It's good to remind ourselves you may be the most conservative person in the room. But you are not one bit more righteous than the Christian sitting next to you that's covered from head to toe with tattoos. You may be dressed in a suit and tie, but you're no more righteous than the person next to you with T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or Middle Eastern. It doesn't matter. What makes us right before a holy God is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. It's Christ and Christ alone. And that's what we must remember.